Hey everyone, you're listening to On Their Behalf, formerly known as DNA, a true crime podcast. Please enjoy. Hey, this is Devin. And this is Asia. And welcome to DNA, a true crime podcast. It's called DNA because it's our names. She's the D, I'm the A. It's not like DNA though. It's not not like DNA because DNA has a lot to do with true crime and that's what we talk about, so... So it's, it's just our names and what we like to talk about is true crime. This week we're telling the story together, so we split up the research and we didn't actually tell each other what we found out. So we're kind of learning along with you. Today we're talking about the murder of Ramona Moore and how the system failed her and how her mother never stopped fighting for justice. April 24th, 2003, in New York City, when Ramona Moore, a 21-year-old Hunter college student who lived with her mother, Ellie Carmichael, we're calling her Ellie, but Mm. there has been other... Conflicting reports, which, if you pay attention, is a theme throughout this. Yes. So we're calling her Ellie. If her name is Elle, please let us know. Yes. And we apologize. (laughs) She's the best. Yes. Wait and see. Yes. So she lived with her mother, Ellie Carmichael, on Remsen Avenue in Brooklyn. Uh, she tells her mom that she's going to go to the uh, local Burger King to, to grab food. It's only a half a block away from their home. And unfortunately, Ramona never makes it to the Burger King. And it's the last time Ellie will see her daughter alive mm-hmm. again. Um, she was born in Guyana. Wait, wait, wait. where is Guyana? I had to look it up, too, because <laughs> geography is not my strong suit. So, um, And I got this information from, from Wikipedia. Guyana is a tropical uh, country. It's situated in uh, the northern coast of South America. Oh. Yeah, and it's, it's bordered by Venezuela on the west, Suriname on the east, and Brazil on the south and the Atlantic Ocean is on the north. So it's pretty small. Yeah, it's really okay. tiny. Ramona's date of birth is unfortunately unclear. Of uh, Some sources say that her birth year is 1982 with no month or day listed, weirdly. Mm. Um, so bringing it back yeah, to that theme. Exactly. Conflicting reports. Every, every report is kind of different. If that were true, 1982 being her birth year, she would have been 20 at the time of her death. Mm. But according to court documents that I found on legal.com, which outlines the bias lawsuit that Ellie filed against the New York City, I'll get into that later. Uh, Ramona's date of birth is listed there as October 8th, 1981, which would have made her 21 at the time of her death. Mm -hmm. Too young to have something like this uh, happen to anyone, really. I do want to point out that there is another woman named Ramona Moore. It's spelled with an A, so it's R-A-M-O-N-A. Our Ramona is spelled with an O, so it's R-O-M-O-N-A. There's spellings where it's spelled with an A and Mm -hmm. has a different picture. So uh, just so if you guys are researching Mm -hmm. this or or looking up any photos of her, her name is spelled with an O. Mm -hmm. Again. Um, discrepancies Third yeah there's yeah there's discrepancies <laughs> and that actually comes and, up later yeah, with the a investigation lack of yeah. attention to detail 
Uh, so Ramona and her mother immigrated to New York City in 1985 when Ramona was just four years old. She uh, is an only child. They settled in the East Flatbush area of Brooklyn, New York. According to Wikipedia, several other family members, including five cousins, also lived in that area. Um, interesting fact, though, Guyana is the only country in South America where English is the official language. Mm. So it wasn't hard for Ramona to adapt to her new life yeah. in, in the States. I wonder so. who colonized Guyana. No clue. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no so clue. So weird. But yeah, so it sounds like they had a community and then they, like, maybe the transition wasn't mm-hmm. as difficult. I don't know. This is all conjecture. But yes. at the very least, she had a community. Yes. There. And according to this great book called um, Brooklyn Noir, Funtime Monsters by Errol Lewis, the immigration of the Guyanese from the Caribbean um, made the Flatbush area, quote, a bustling black neighborhood full of ambitious entrepreneurs and hardworking civil servants. Mm. Um, seriously, this book is just amazing and a tearjerker. I was texting you, <laughs> yeah. like, hysterically crying, like, oh, my God, like, you have to read this entire story once we're done recording because yeah. it's just amazing. I had a really hard time getting details about Ramona's life before she went missing. And this book was really good about, like, kind of outlining those mm. little details that mm-hmm. I was trying to find. It was common in Guyana that men and women were engineers and bankers. And when they came to the States, they maintained jobs as, like, maids and cab drivers and Mm. cooks or janitors and the u.s was kind of the perfect place for them to settle and make money and save money and basically build homes and and families and Mm. build a type of community like how you know ramona and and her mom and most of her cousins and family and that's just what ellie did for her and ramona she worked hard kicked ass and and got her daughter to go to a couple local schools which I couldn't find what schools those were but Mm -hmm. um she did attend a few local schools before before enrolling in Hunter College uh, at the age of 18. Lewis wrote that quote she was dark-skinned with a bright smile Ramona didn't have a boyfriend at the time however she had a lot of friends and was well liked among everyone according to her mother uh Ramona had just enrolled in summer classes at Hunter College. Ooh, um, smarty, overachiever. I know. Like, I was summer never willing classes. to just do summer classes for no reason. <laughs> um, so she had just enrolled in classes, uh, which would have started her third year as a psychology honor student the very day before she went missing. So the, so the day before? The day before she enrolled in uh. summer classes. She had a 2.8 GPA and was preparing to move into a career in and medicine. 2.8 on like a 3.0 scale. Yeah, yeah. So back, so back then, that's how, perfect. yeah. Now it's 4.0, well, but, yeah. you know, the Damn. at that time, so she was pretty freaking yeah. smart. Yeah. Like, yeah. So this is the part of the book that really got me and I had to put it down for a few minutes because Mm -hmm. I just couldn't keep reading and then also start writing some of you know what I wanted to talk about one of Ramona's professors said that Ramona quote was very proper and formal in class she was the type of student that you would feel wouldn't answer your questions but suddenly would come with a very smart response Ramona was going places end quote I couldn't keep going. Like, I literally had to go in the bathroom and just, you know, that's just so heartbreaking. Uh, She was known by all who knew her 
as a responsible high achiever and termed by her mother a delicate child. Oh my god. Del- yeah. Oh. It's so Angel sad. Angel baby. Uh, like I said, Ramona was last seen by her mother when she left home on April 24th, 2003, approximately 7 p.m., to go to Burger King. The time she left is mentioned in many places as 7.30, sometimes it's 8, sometimes it's... Mm-hmm. But in court documents that I found, it says that she left at 7 p.m. It later was discovered that Ramona did stop at a male friend's house. His name is Gary Williams. Some reports say she went to Mr. Williams' house to, which was in the same uh, neighborhood, but just like 10 minutes to return a CD that she had borrowed from him. Uh, She left his house around 9, which also is... Mm, To return a CD. CD for 10 minutes. Like, it's just the timeline is a little off. But later on, I'll be able to, you know, outline a little bit better of a timeline for yeah. you. I mean, also, though, when you drop something off at a friend's house, you might hang out for a while. Like. Yeah, and I couldn't tell you, like, what time my friend left last yeah. week. You know, like, it's, you don't think about it. Yeah, I came you, over last week. Yeah. When did I leave? Who knows? I have no clue. I have like, no idea. I would have what time been, did I get there? Do we have jobs? No. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, like, your time... Your time in your mind is not because you, you they're you're leaving and they're going to come back yeah when if you think you're not 2003 so who did they even have cell phones then maybe like a no, razor i don't think so you oh, know ra- razors maybe? i don't know sidekicks is that it was maybe, way in the past yeah <laughs> no, like well really. 2003 i definitely who didn't knows? have a cell phone at if you time. know what cell phone ramona would have had in 2003 let us know in the yeah. comments yeah for sure i was 13 <laughs> Oh, man. So yeah. I didn't have a cell phone then. So I think maybe razors or April, like Blackberries. I was 12. Yeah, I didn't have a cell phone either. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Mom. Yeah, right? I wish. Actually, My little sister you. has had a cell phone when she was like 10. Oh, so, I mean, very whatever. annoying. It's a different time. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she leaves Mr. Williams' house and uh, she tells him as she's leaving that uh, she'll give him a call when she gets home. Uh, But unfortunately, Ramona never made it to the Burger King. Mm. After a very worried night, Ramona's mom calls the NYPD uh, 67th precinct to report her daughter missing. She told them um, that her daughter said last night she was going to go to Burger King and just never returned home. They instructed her to call 911. Instead mm. of the precinct, which is very that weird. Seems like the opposite thing. Yeah, I feel like, I guess it's an emergency, but... But why don't they have the protocol to just, like, take a call like that? Why yeah. do you need to go to the more general dispatch? That's weird. Uh, very weird. I don't... And there's really no explanation yeah. for that. There's, yeah. a, there's no explanation for a lot in this case. Mm. Um, so she does that. She calls 911, and she tells them the same story. My daughter left for Burger King, never came back. Um, she tells them that it's very unlike her daughter uh, to not return home, let alone even be late and not call mm-hmm. to say, like, hey, mom, this is what's going on. Yeah. So uh, Officer Monique Richardson and another unnamed police officer go to Ellie's house in response to the 911 call. Uh, Miss Richardson, uh, or Detective Rich- Richardson, to- tells Ellie that perhaps the girl's just with friends and eventually will show up. And she eventually declines to open a missing person's case. Oh, my God. That is and so dismissive. It's ridiculous. Even though Ellie's like, 
insistent like listen this is not like my daughter she's not just with friends not listening to her exactly so she's like listen i'll the only thing i can do is um submit a a file a report i can file a report but it's only for informational purposes like other than that we can't open a case because your daughter is an adult so i mean i guess i guess that makes sense but also like what yeah and it's like this mom is like i know my daughter better than you know my daughter so she's responsible she just registered for summer classes she's never even missed a lecture like this is not like my daughter she had plans why would she why would she just disappear not saying without saying anything Yeah. yeah and it just doesn't seem like a situation in which a cop a professional would just be like you know what don't worry about it yeah like, that not, seems... No. That's ridiculous. Officer Richardson says if she was still concerned that evening that she could call uh, the precinct at 7 p.m. to get an update. Mm-hmm. But it usually takes 24 hours for any action to be taken for a missing persons but case. But isn't the whole point of everything that everybody knows is that the first 48 hours are the most important? So that's half your time gone, Richardson. Yeah. Um, Have you never watched TV? (laughs) But according to Richardson, um, Ramona's case was not important enough. So, um, which uh, the other thing that I don't understand is because she's telling her, okay, call at 7 p.m. tonight because, or call at 7 p.m. if you want, but really you shouldn't because missing persons cases don't actually take action until 24 hours. But I thought you're not putting her cases in a missing persons case. So conflicting. Seriously. Like information. You're saying that she's not a missing person, but I shouldn't call in 24 hours because she's, it's literally saying anything to shut her up. Yeah. So Richardson does submit this informational report that, uh, Officer Richardson does submit this informational report. Um, it t- comes out later that it's indicated what Ramona's race is, which... On the report? On the report, yeah. And I kind of understand that. I mean, if they are doing, for informational purposes, or if they're doing a missing persons case, like, they do need an accurate description of what she looks like. So, yeah, I get that. Yeah, but they said they weren't doing a missing persons case. I know. what It's weird, but then it's like, so do they not put what she looks like in case like it does turn into a missing person's case i don't know i i mean i get it but it it's also a reason to sneak it to the bottom of the pile Mm -hmm. if you think about it so around 9 30 30 a.m the next day on april 25th the very next day with no investigation the nypd closes ramona moore's case that they didn't actually officially open yeah so Cool. Cool, cool, cool. No problem. So days go by and Ellie is just riddled with agony. She's just cannot understand why no one is listening to her. So what she does is she does it herself. She starts to do her own police work and she, with the help of family members, she puts posters and flyers all over the, the neighborhood. She goes to the police station. She calls constantly, begging them to help her find her daughter. Every time she's met with rude and heartless words, telling mm-hmm. her there's nothing they can do. So a little over two weeks later, Ellie 
still riddled with the pain of her of missing her daughter gets a chilling call so according to this book brooklyn noir the anonymous caller gives the location of where her daughter is ellie said quote he told me that he heard a girl screaming a few nights ago and then he heard then he told me about snyder avenue Ellie later testifies that she was hearing him and also not hearing him at the same time, but that he was being very specific. He said they wrapped her up in plastic and that he, and that he thinks that they killed her Mm. end quote. Uh, Please note that uh, some reports say that she was wrapped in a blanket. um, And some say it was plastic. Some say there was no, she wasn't covered at all, Mm -hmm. but in the court documents, it claims that she was in fact wrapped in a blanket and dumped. Oh, my God. So Ellie immediately contacts the police and tells them what the, t- the tipster told her. Um, then she jumps in the car and heads to that location. She gets there just minutes before oh the police do. This all happened on May 11th, 2003, Mother's Day. So uh, horrible. This amazing horrible. powerhouse of a woman gets a call. Mm-hmm. gets there before the police mm-hmm. because they don't give a shit. Yeah. Finds her daughter like that on Mother's Day. Yeah. Oh. After two weeks of doing all, all she can. All the legwork herself. By herself. Oh, my yeah. God. Horrible. Um, yeah, so now. So. <sighs> May 11th, 2003, Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Ellie finds her daughter. I'm going to rewind us back to April 24th, the day Ramona goes missing. She's at her friend Gary Williams' house, dropping off a CD, chilling, whatever they're doing. Who knows? You know, as friends do. She's then walking two to three blocks to Burger King to grab a snack before heading home. On the way to Burger King, she passes Snyder Avenue. Outside of Snyder Avenue is... A man named Troy Hendricks. I say a man. He was 19. He's Mm. a child. A teenage doofus. He, uh, he's handsome. He's charming. Mm -hmm. He and Ramona start talking. And somehow he convinces her to come check out his apartment. He lives in the basement of his grandma's house. Uh, And she agrees. So there's because no there's no reports that show no that reports he on like how okay. yeah uh, no reports on any force but definitely could have been however based on other things that happened later it's most likely that he sort of like cajoled her into coming inside okay so they get inside and inside is waiting Hendrix's friend named Casey Pearson who at the time is 21. Uh, and basically immediately it all goes to hell. They tie Ramona up, tie her to a pole in the basement that's sort of like covered by, um, curtains. Mm -hmm. So like they had the setup ready almost. They tied her up. They like put, you know, tape on her mouth Mm -hmm. just to make her, to hold her captive, hold her against her will. They kidnapped her. Mm Mm-hmm. And they started doing all the things to her. They 
raped her. They sodomized her. They beat mm. her. They used like general tools to attack her. They beat her with a hammer. They cut her with hand saws. Oh, which God. that 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 detail to me seems so specifically messed up. Like what? Why? Wh- why? Like they're like they're just seeing what they can do almost. Mm. Um, now there are some articles talking about Hendrix and Pearson that call them thugs and call them members of the blood gang. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence that corroborates that claim. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also not a lot of like blood gang activity in New York. So it seems like if they were affiliated, I'm not, I don't, I don't actually believe that they were affiliated, but maybe. Yeah. They, and it doesn't seem like a, um, like, like a gang initiation no. type of thing. Like usually, no, this is I like mean, very specifically yeah. their own thing that they're doing yeah i feel like usually like if you i mean i'm i've never been in a gang but me neither you know, so i'm not <laughs> like I have no idea, to talk about yeah, this i have no idea what they require their gang members to do to be like initiated or whatever but yeah. what i can tell from like movies and tv it's usually something more public than that and not uh necessarily with citizens yeah like, it's like I don't know. I don't know. But, like, from what I can remember from, like, movies and stuff, it's, like, you know, it's something that can be publicized to the gang members to be, like, they did this. So, you know, I don't know. But So, this, there are, like, I don't know. It seems like the the people that are calling them gang members and thugs are, like, early 2000s racist reporters Mm. that are just angry, which is, like, these assholes deserve... Like, oh, yeah. to be angry at because they're monsters. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's because they're in a gang. And I don't even really think that they are. Yeah. So just putting that out there. Yeah. Not that we support the gangs. No. But, but I don't give them I a label they don't like, deserve. Right. <laughs> you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's how bad these guys are. Yeah. Like, they're, 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 I don't understand them. They're so weird, this yeah. mindset. They just seem, like, totally outside of themselves and are just trying things to see what they can get away with. So April 24th, April 24th, they capture Ramona and start this days long torture of her. And then they're holding her against her will. They're like smoking and drinking and just like having a grand old time being absolute monsters. And then this is where like the timeline gets a little hazy because mm-hmm. everything mentions like a few days but not exact dates. So either April 25th or 26th, Hendrix and Pearson invite their friend over, Raimondo Jack. And they have like cordoned off the part of the apartment with Ramona. So mm-hmm. like the curtains are closed so it just looks like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, you said that this is his grandmother's house? Yeah. Where is she? No idea. There's never a single mention of her. So there's a girl being tortured in her basement and she doesn't notice? Maybe she's deaf. Maybe she's maybe <sighs> she she's better on be. drugs. Like, who? I don't know. There's no reports about what she's doing or, like, how this can go on. Or how involved she was? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. On April 25th or 26th, Hendrix and Pearson invite their friend Raimondo Jack over to, like, hang out and chill. Mm-hmm. They're hanging out, whatever, and then Hendrix asks him if he wants to see something. And Raimondo goes, like, okay, whatever. And Hendrix pulls aside the curtain and reveals Ramona tied up, beaten, 
puffy eye, bleeding, and quiet hmm. because that's what you do in those moments. You do what your captors tell you tell, to, yeah. to survive. She's but definitely in survival mode right now. She's t- in total survival mode, but she's smart and she's a psychology student. Mm-hmm. So she starts talking to Raimondo because she can see the look on his face, seeing what How she looks horrified like. horrified he is. <laughs> yes. And she says to him, you seem nicer than them. Can you help <sighs> me? Oh my God. I know. And Raimondo Jack leaves and goes to a baby shower. I'm sorry, that's not funny, but I, I had a very... It's... No. It's... What? Like, what? So, this is the thing... This is the part, I think, that makes people think that they were in a gang and, like, mm-hmm. Raimondo Jack was either invited over to, like, participate and then got cold feet or something mm-hmm. because he didn't say anything. Because, you know, if you're growing up in Brooklyn, you know, there's... There's a code that you don't yeah. you don't tell on your friends, and if Hendrix and Pearson with, were his friends, he's not going to say anything. But this goes like so far beyond, like what that is, because it's usually like drugs or like having a gun or getting in a fight. It's not something like this. This is a, an entirely not, different. Yeah, situation. mutilating a human being yes. feels like a part of the code that should not be honored. Correct. Um, so he goes so, to a baby shower. Which he didn't like, say anything to them at the time? Anything. Like, he wasn't just like, hey, dudes, this is, like, ridiculous? Not that I saw. Wow. He, like, maybe he's he's afraid for his life. I don't know. He's mm-hmm. a fucking coward. Like, how do you God. leave that place and not immediately? Yeah. How do you go to a baby shower? How, this, how many baby showers have you been where somebody has seen something like this? Because now, apparently, people go to baby showers after witnessing horrific acts. Like, <laughs> who... In also, their why right is there mind. a man involved in a I've baby been shower? To, I've been to plenty of mixed gender baby really? showers. Really? Yeah. I haven't. But I also haven't been to one where I, I'm I'm assuming somebody just witnessed something like that. Insanity. And can just put a smile on their face. It takes a true psycho. It's, it takes somebody who's able to put a guard up like that and yeah. not... Wow. And other than Troy Hendricks and Casey Pearson... Raimondo Jack was the last person to see Ramona alive. Wow. So. That's ridiculous. This is that thing that I Googled Mm -hmm. that I'll tell you about. Okay. In a second. Oh, okay. This is the bystander effect. The bystander effect occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation. The greater number of bystanders, the less likely it is for any one of them to provide help to a person in distress. People are more likely to take action in a crisis when there are few or no other witnesses present. So this is him with mm. Raimondo Jack with Hendrix and Pearson. And Hendrix and Pearsons are delighting in this. Yeah. Forcing them, to Ramona, to like show off. Hendrix pulled the curtain back and told Ramona, say hi, bitch. Oh my god! And then, oh. so so if if he was alone and witnessing something like like is it it's more, more of likely. like it's it's more of like if there was no witnesses that he witnessed it because then he yes, could go anonymously. He could have protected himself. He could have gone anonymously. I can't and speak to who he is. Yeah. Like I don't know, but it's like with uh, have you heard of Kenny Genovese, who in the sixties I think 
was stabbed inside of like her vestibule in her apartment mm-hmm. with 60 witnesses and nobody called oh, anybody yes. because they just assumed somebody else would was call. gonna call yes okay yeah yeah it's that it's that same okay. thing yeah so i mean i get i get how that's an argument but it's yeah to me it's just but like also, i don't know if like, i have I don't have that, I'm not made up that way, where right. I could harbor that kind of information and not... Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't it's see. It's awful. Yeah. But also, like, Troy Hendricks and Kaysen Pearson, I, like, it's stupid to invite somebody over yeah. to show them what you're doing if you're doing something like that, but they picked right because yeah. he didn't snitch. He didn't say anything. I wonder if that was the intention of being like, okay, well, we'll invite somebody over that's not going to say anything. Or is it that they're just that stupid that they don't care? I think it's the latter. Yeah. I think they're fucking dumb. And they don't care. They didn't care if they got caught because then it was be like, well, let's see what happens. There's some sort of disassociation going on with them or something where they, they literally are just like, this is not, I'm just doing a thing, but there's no consequences and like, Mm. you know. I could I could almost hear them saying like I'm not hurting anybody because they're not viewing Ramona as anybody mm. and they're not thinking about her family. They're just like seeing what happens. Yeah. yeah. Very narcissistic. Very narcissistic. So, Ramona Jack leaves. I'm sure has a wonderful time in the baby shower. Doesn't say a word. Mm. Now the dates on this are fuzzy, but either April 26th or 27th they finally kill Ramona with a blow to the head. Oh. April 24th to maybe the 27th, three days of just nonstop torture for this young woman. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't imagine going through that. Yeah. Um, but now because Ramona is dead and they have nothing to play with, they need a new Ugh. victim. Ugh. So Troy Hendricks. Sorry that. Yeah. They have nothing to play with. Got me. Yeah. All right. Troy Hendricks goes to a local school, a high school. And it's a little bit after school has started, so the doors are locked, and a young 15-year-old girl in her school uniform comes up. Wait, tries to in the middle of the day? Yeah. Well, she she was late for class. This was like at like 10. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. So the school locked the doors. The school locked the doors, which I've never heard, but I guess so. Well, I don't know about this school. It doesn't it doesn't say who this person is and it doesn't say what school it is because she's oh. 15 so she's underage. Yeah. Um, but basically Troy sees her try to go in the school, offers to help and says, "Why don't like I live around the corner, why don't you just like come and we'll call your dad and mm. like we'll we'll get this all sorted. You like you're not going to be in trouble at school. Just like come out. Come over and I'll, I'll take care of you." So she does. He's lending a helping hand. Lending she's a helping 15. Hand. Of course she's And she's he's like a handsome young guy. Mm-hmm. So of course you're going to like that attention. Yeah. So she goes over, goes to the basement apartment, and she walks inside and she sees Case and Pearson inside. And then that that's when she gets a little bit of a red flag where she's like, he didn't say anybody else is here. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And then he kind of like ushers her in and like makes sure that she is in front of him uh-huh. which she also is like that's weird like I had to go like so far around him to get in front of him but like they didn't really give her a choice mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden Pearson throws a pillowcase over her head Tr- Hendrix like slashes her book bag 
So it falls. And they tie her up and tie her to a pole. And then they pull off the uh, pillowcase Mm -hmm. and put, like, slap duct tape on her mouth. And they start doing the same thing they did to Ramona. Great. And in the process of it, they say to her, like, can you smell that? And she's, like, fighting and struggling, whatever. And so they turn her head, and that's when she sees Ramona's body. And she is horrified, because that's horrifying. Mm. And she's 15. It just gets worse and worse. But they finish, I guess. And... And they're so high and drunk that they just fall asleep. They're holding, like, a knife, but they're sleeping. And then this 15-year-old badass figures out a way to lick off the duct tape around her mouth and just, like, work it so she can pull it off and then, and then uses her mouth to untie the ties on her wrists. Wow. And she just fucking runs. Wait, because she's a so, queen. They're so drunk and high that they they don't notice that she's doing any of this stuff? Idiots. Yes. <laughs> Thank God they're idiots, though. Yeah, true. But, but like, like, God, they're what not. What the fuck? They're so, not smart at all. No. Not and that you need to be smart about this situation, no, but, like, But that's damn. such a risk for her to take, too, yeah. because if you're in that situation and they wake and they up, caught, you're yeah. dead. Mm-hmm. So she took a huge risk and it paid off because she got out of there. So she went and she reported this case to the police Mm -hmm. and told them about the basement, told them about where it was. They did not connect it to Ramona's case because when they got to the basement, it was flooded and there was nothing there. Troy and Pearson, after she she ran, were like, oh shit, she's going to tell on us. Which like, yes, yes she will. (laughs) And she should. Yes. But why would they think that water... They thought they were going to destroy evidence. I mean, it worked. It bought them time. But... To a, to a degree. But so the police were focusing on this girl's case. Yeah. And not connecting it to Ramona's Morris case at all, but like looking and trying to see, trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. Do they find the grandmother and find out like what she knows? I, there's nothing? nothing, nothing about that. They end up finding troy Hendricks because he was picked up on like a small possession charge okay somewhere else so he was already in jail mm-hmm. um but that happened quick then yeah i know so stupid so stupid so oh. but basically this is this is again where the timeline gets a little fuzzy in the research yeah. where they're you know going through all of this but this is about two weeks later that Ellie got that anonymous phone call that tipped her off to where to find R- Ramona's yeah. um, body. Well, in my sources, which I can't remember specifically what it was, but if you're interested in our sources, we're posting them on our Instagram. <laughs> in my sources, it was Raimondo Jack's uncle that called Ellie Carmichael. He, oh. They were in the neighborhood... Uh, and I guess what he had seen had been weighing on Raimondo. And rightfully not, so. Rightfully so. And so he finally told his fiance and his uncle what he saw. And his okay. uncle then anonymously called Ellie 
because of all the flyers. Yeah. He knew how to contact Ellie, but okay. didn't contact the police. Wow. Because, I, I mean, we decided when we were splitting this case up that we would just not do as much, in like, right. research into your section. So I actually didn't know that that... I didn't know that they knew who the anonymous anonymous phone call came from because Most even in the, the court t- documents, right. it still said just an anonymous. Most phone of call. the time, it's referred to as anonymous, mm-hmm. but I need to f- I need to find the specifically where it said that Raimondo Jack's uncle was the yeah. one that called, um, because that makes sense because they had all the the details that nobody else would have had. Yeah, like even even if Hendrix and Pearson had just confided in Raimondo where they put Ramona yeah after well because they I knew feel where like, the body was they didn't he didn't he yeah, knew about the basement apartment but he knew where the body was yeah because Ellie says that he was yeah. being very specific very he was specific. telling her details that it felt like the my, my first thought was like oh it's one of one of them no that they like just were like we want like maybe I don't know like it was just yeah. like maybe they were just like okay maybe I'll just tell I doubt it <laughs> so I that's why I thought it. that there was so the the spe- the specific specificity yes that word <laughs> um that right it had to come from somebody who was involved nope great well not 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 involved because but knew enough information that they yeah, were yeah but like that if Raimondo Jack had called somebody the day he saw Ramona. She would have been alive. They would have found her and she would have survived. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I I found that her, in those court documents, it says that she died on the 27th. On the 27th? Yeah. So that same day they went and they got this girl. Oh, okay. Yeah. They wasted no time. So they killed her and then just went and found another one. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, So... After Ellie and the police find the body on Mother's Day, mm-hmm. they trace it to Troy Hendricks, who, as I said, is in jail on a small possession charge already. He immediately spills everything, points him to Cason Pearson, maintains his innocence, saying that he didn't do anything. It was all Cason. Mm. Of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, why not? why not? Yeah. So. I would the, never do something like that. I know. That's crazy. I'm handsome. <laughs> so the police start their search for Case and Pearson and they go to his last known address mm-hmm. and he's not there. So then they start digging and they found out that he was arrested in Albany. So they go up to Albany and it's where his brother lives. They talk to his brother's wife. Now the brother's wife is like, oh, I hate these people. I can't get out of this marriage. They're abusive. Oh. Hate them all. I'll tell you exactly where he is. He's in Georgia. And she gives him an address, and she's like, that's where their grandmother lives or something. I don't know what she says. But <laughs> she sends him to Georgia. Now, the Brooklyn PD has no jurisdiction in yeah. Georgia. So what they do is they call, like, the Atlanta police or whoever, wherever, whatever yeah. town they went in. They team up with them. The Brooklyn PD flies to Atlanta, meets up with the Georgia PD. They go to the address to go bust down the door and find Case and Pearson and guess what? He's not there. So I'm well, like, how the heck is he getting all this? Like, well, how would he have gotten to Georgia within that amount of, amount of time? Yeah, I mean, flying. It was two I guess two weeks since they like flooded the basement. Oh, okay, yeah, that's true. Like, there's plenty of time. Yeah, I could have driven all night. You know, true. Yeah. So they're like, oh, whoops. So they fly back to New York, 
and then they like <laughs> whoopsie do, do just a little more look at home looking at home mm-hmm. find out that like find his new girlfriend okay which like can you imagine oh if my that was god. your boyfriend holy oh oh my Anyways, god so they find his new girlfriend and they go over and she's like yeah, he's inside. Go get him. I'm not dealing with this bullshit. Oh, yeah. Queen. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's right there. Yeah. And they go and arrest him. And so there was this huge, stupid manhunt Search. for <laughs> no friggin' reason. Wasting, wasting so much resources yeah. and everything. When you, It's just like, if you just like can Get a little bit a of little, attention. Yeah. Yeah. She was like in Yonkers. What? Like, yeah. So Brooklyn to Yonkers. Like 45 like, minutes. <laughs> yes. Like really just call like, oh my God. So, everyone is so stupid. <laughs> everyone is so stupid. So, whatever. They arrest him. They find them. They're like, oh, great. Bada bing, bada boom. We're done. We're the heroes. We solved this case. Nope. Nope. I mean, they solved the case. That's yeah. who did it. But I'm just, you know what? I'm a little like, okay, yes, I'm angry yeah. at the uncle. And Ramondo Jack. Like, I'm angry with them. Well, the, But how long did it take to sit on that information? Like, and that's he Raimondo even, Jack, because Raimondo Jack didn't tell them until that then, until two weeks. And my understanding is that Raimondo Jack's uncle called immediately. So then he wasn't he telling knew. the truth because he tells Ellie that he heard a girl screaming a few nights ago. I which think that he was, I think he was trying to pr- protect Raimondo as well. Okay. So I think that he's saying things just to, because by then, by that point, Ramon had been was dead already dead for so like days, yeah, weeks. So he, I mean, yeah. So he was lying, right? Just in general, okay. right? But, but like, how do you, yeah? Like, if I had a cousin, a nephew, a friend, and I found out this information, there is no way in hell that I'm protecting them. I know. Are you are you crazy? I know. Like, I know. You should rot in prison. Like, why are none of these people being in- implicated at all? Because they don't come up later. No. They're not Raimondo, tried. Oh, my God. Raimondo I mean. testifies eventually. Because, Maybe he like, got a deal. He's trying. Well, I don't know if. I don't know what the thing would be, like, witnessing and not saying anything. But they, like, if he. If they're like, okay. Maybe. You're. You're just as guilty as, as them because you yeah. witnessed this stuff. You didn't say anything until two weeks later. Right. I'm sure he was like, listen, I'll tell you everything if you just, yeah. d- if I, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I was stupid enough to be in that situation, I would also be like, listen, I'll tell you every- anything to not be in trouble yeah. right now, you know. But I don't understand how it works and I don't understand. Yeah, and how, I don't like, understand how these people aren't just... I know. As much guilty as as, I know. as Troy and Casey. I know it's, that is insane. And at least at least he testified to like close it and get yeah. this done. Yeah, one check mark, one but, star. Mm, she could have been alive. Yeah, if you would have said something earlier, to, she yeah. could have been alive. You're just as guilty in yeah. her death as they are. So so they're eventually uh, arrested. In 2003, and the, but their trial's now to 2006. And so okay. they're, they're in jail for three years, which is fairly standard for a mm-hmm. big murder case. Yeah. So you got to get everything together. Um, they're in jail for three years because bail, I'm sure, was crazy high. Oh, it should. And they couldn't. They should have. What is it? Remand? I don't know. When they you don't get a bail set? It's like. Oh, yeah. You, you don't get a bail. Yeah. <laughs> they may not have gotten yeah. it. I don't know. There's no information about it. No. That. So 
You let us know, audience. Yeah. Uh, so the trial is in 2006, and they're going through the trial, and and weirdly, Pearson keeps showing up in like a yarmulke, and like Hendricks and Pearson are like black guys. Which, <laughs> you know, not to say that one of the lost tribes of Israel isn't an African nation. Yeah. But. Uh, seems, <laughs> this seems like it's for show. Seems it seems like yeah. for show. It's not. It's like yeah. getting sympathy from the jury. Exactly. It's like, oh, I'm like, straining my life out. Yeah, please. And they were in jail, not prison. Like, yeah. Like, what? Okay. Yeah. So, so Hendricks and Pearson are being tried at the same time. So they're like at the table together. And they must have been in the jail together. And so it's standard practice when you go into the courtroom to like, for prisoners to get a search. So they get a body search. They go through mm-hmm. a metal detector. Fine. Same as always. Whatever. But this day, on the day of the trial, where it's not specified what day of the trial it was. Yeah. But this day was different. Mm-hmm. Because as, like, witnesses were changing over, somehow, <laughs> Troy and Troy Hendricks and Case and Pearson managed to sneak in two plastic shivs up their buttholes. Ew! <laughs> and they managed to poop it out and grab <laughs> it out while they're in court somehow. And what do they do with these shivs? Well, Hendrix goes for the gun of the bailiff. Pearson turns to their own lawyer, Mitch Dinnerstein, and stabs him under the neck and Hendrix is wrestling around for this gun, and and the jury is cowering in the well, jury yeah. box because if, if he gets a, hold a gun, of gun yeah. he's just shooting everybody. The the lawyer is bleeding from his neck, being stabbed with a poopy shiv. He got like, stabbed with a shitty shiv. He got stabbed. <laughs> Holy! So wait, nobody noticed like Troy with his hands down his pants, shitting out a shitty shiv. I don't know. It's insanity. And they're making this, like, grand escape attempt. And then, of course, it doesn't work because there's a million people around. There's so much security. There's police officers. They tackle Hendricks. They tackle Pearson. They get the weapons off of them. They, like, manage to, like, uh, handcuff them to wheelchairs. So then, like, they wheel Hendricks out, and he somehow has lost his shirt and his pants. And then they wheel Case and Pearson out, who's fucking laughing. And it's like... What? what is going on? So so what is their, so what was their, this is my thing. So what, first of all, are they allowed, like, is that a thing where they're allowed to be together? To like to plan, like plan this? this stuff? I guess so. Maybe not anymore. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I have to think it was like, what, 17 years ago. So yeah. But, but like, still. I just assume that they would be separated for that reason. Like, so that they yeah. can't conspire together. But what was the plan? Like, how did they think that they were going to get away with this? Honestly, I have no idea. There was one article I read that Pearson said that they just did it to see what would happen, which again speaks to that so, like yeah. mentality where mm-hmm. they're like above because they it, said and it's that's not what really they said. Them. You know about this whole thing. We just you know just to see. Just they're trying just, all these torture things with them why not? just to see what would happen. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. And that actually that goes to, to like, the title of this book, which is so mm-hmm. weird. It's uh, fun. T- I think it's called, yeah, it's Fun Time Monsters. Just uh, to see. Yeah. Just, just to, to have see. fun. Wow. And if they could apply that energy to something constructive, yeah, imagine what they yeah, could have done. Exactly. There's other ways to entertain yourselves, idiots. Buy a Game Boy. Yeah. I mean, back then. Get a ping pong table. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like ping pong. I know. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. So, 
So as as all this commotion is happening, Ellie Carmichael, who has been going through it oh in my this God. trial, reliving everything her daughter went through, seeing photos, like witnessing the horrific acts that her only baby went through. Oh. She runs out into the hallway mm-hmm. screaming, obviously, because this is terrible. And she's just saying, why didn't they shoot them? Why didn't they just shoot them and yeah. kill them on the spot? And it's like, yes. Why That's didn't they? That's an accurate question. Like, I I don't believe in police shooting black men. No. But, like, this is an insane situation. Yeah. And like, they're not... They are a danger to they everyone. Are they are reckless. To, to stab your own lawyer yeah. doesn't really make any sense. No. Like, he's trying to help you. Like, they are literally dumber than a box of rocks. So insanely dumb. But, okay, you want to hear something crazy? So mm. when Ellie was out in the hallway, yeah. as all this was going on, a woman named Joan Rafferty came mm. up to her. And Joan Rafferty is the mother of Detective Patrick Rafferty, who should have been testifying in Ramona's case because oh. he was the de- detective that found Raimondo Jack. Oh, and got okay. him to testify. But Patrick couldn't testify because he was also murdered. <gasps> and his trial was going on right next door. No fucking way. Isn't that insane? So, wow. So, like, what are the odds of that happening? Yeah. So Joan Rafferty, Patrick's mother, who's going through her own, own son's thing, yeah. murder trial, sees Ellie and goes up to her and comforts her in that <sighs> moment. I literally have chills right now. I know. Like, Ugh. like think, like, one moment of human kindness in this. Yeah. Like, just a singular moment. Two moms. Yeah. Wow. And Ugh. so she... Going through, like, the worst I know. thing ever. Wow. I know. She and Joan, I have a quote from Joan. She said, I tried to say to Ellie, you've got to take care of yourself. You have to stay calm. I understand. Like, Ugh. nobody, nobody has understood yeah Ellie. what 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 she's nobody going has through, yeah. heard her nobody has listened to her mm. and now like in the middle of this crazy turmoil yeah and it's like a, such a, a coincidence that this these two yes. women are together in the same place so crazy for someone to say they understand you is and that that wow. just like yeah oh that got me so obviously that trial was declared a mistrial. Yeah, because they stabbed. I wonder if their that's their plan. Their the plan. Were they so stupid that they think a mistrial means, means that they that get off? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, could be. I think they really thought that they were going to get away. Yeah. Like wow, fucking idiots. So, but a mis for those of us that don't know, a mistrial does not mean that you get away no, with it. No. It means you have to go through another the whole trial thing again. with a new lawyer. So, well, did that lawyer die? No, he's fine. Oh. <laughs> but he's not going to work with them again. Yeah, he's like, I'm out here. Yeah. No, no, no. No, he's I'm got good. a family, I'm sure. Thanks. Somebody, but no thanks. maybe a dog. Who knows? Yeah. He's fine. God. Okay, good. Um, Actually, I don't know. I didn't look it up. He didn't die because of that. Okay. I know that much. I don't yeah. know where he is now. Okay. Um, So Ellie Carmichael has to go through it all again. A whole nother wow. trial. But at this trial, nobody's stabbed. Nobody got poopy shivs. <laughs> Shitty <Nothing>. shivs. <laughs> uh, and the jury deliberated for about an hour for a period. Oh, yeah. And oh, they sent, probably oh. sipping tea. Like, yeah. hey, um, what are you guys going to do when yeah. you get out of here? They just uh, did a little stretching. And then, do, you want, do you want to have brunch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I heard they talk about this, right? We're yeah. all in agreement. I heard yeah. they have great mimosas down the street. We should totally do that after this. <laughs> oh, wow. so yeah. So they came back in, mm-hmm. and they, without hesitation, sentenced both Hendricks and Pearson to life in prison without parole, and oh, each good. one got twenty-two years extra for their stupid escape oh, attempt. Yeah. And this is not even to mention the separate trial that they're going oh, for, the for 15, kidnapping yeah. and raping the 15 year old girl where were they did did they for the second trial did they like at least this time make sure that they weren't in the same jail or i don't think that they were allowed in the room i think they had to watch it on oh screens. really yeah so they couldn't even be there they weren't even at the no, trial no that's, that's yeah <laughs> well good. good they don't deserve somebody's to- learning something yeah. at least holy okay. shit wow okay like at so they're in jail and yeah. we know what happened to Ramona and that's all we can ask for right and yeah. it's all done am i right nope what so this badass Ellie Carmichael is like this is not over because everything that she experienced from the moment she reported her daughter missing to the end she she didn't get what she deserved and neither did Ramona so right um, so Ellie Carmichael eventually got the okay to file a bias suit against the city of New York and the NYPD. Um, so she's alleging that the city of New York and the NYPD deprived her daughter of her constitutional rights by failing to label her a missing person when her mm. daughter's disappearance was first reported to the police. Mm-hmm. And then also they failed to do, to conduct a immediate investigation as it would have been done for a white person being reported missing true yes very much so uh she goes on to testify that quote all i got was nothing but disrespect from the media and the police true also true Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so back to the day that uh ellie reported ramona missing as directed uh, by detective robinson ellie called the 67th precinct at 7 p.m that night uh, explaining to the detective, um, his name was Patrick Hen, that two police officers who visited her house that day told her to call at 7 p.m. to see if there was any progress in the investigation or mm-hmm. if there was going to be an investigation. So according to the court documents that I found on legal.com, Ellie says that in a very nasty manner, Detective Hen stated, Miss Carmichael's daughter was 21 years old. She's an adult and she can do as she pleases. Mm. here's the kicker so detective hen tells her that apparently officer richardson hadn't followed proper protocol Uh. so the report that she supposedly filed was never filed at all (gasps) it was rude it was just like like it was just to shut her up yeah it was just to shut her up and basically what she did was she basically just documented that she that she responded to the 911 covering her own yeah so i i responded to this 911 call about a missing person but it's not a missing person's case so we're dismissing it which is why on the 25th they closed the quote-unquote case because Because it was nothing it she made it seem like it was nothing wow so and at this point Ramona was still alive. Yes, at this point, because this was the twenty fifth. She was still she was still alive. So, um, so then Detective Hen says, you know, this report wasn't followed properly, and that she should never call back again. <gasps> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Detective Hen 
is an asshole. What? So wow. Ellie eventually, uh, she testifies that Hen also told her that her daughter could be anywhere. Maybe she's with a boyfriend or something. And he didn't understand why Ellie was calling him. Why are you calling? Oh, my God. She also testifies that uh, when she did show up to the precinct later that day, or the next day, so this is now the 26th, because she's posting flyers of her own, trying to figure out how she can find her daughter or get the word out about her Mm -hmm. daughter. So she's going to the the precinct and calling them constantly just to, to beg them for help. And she said that she showed up to the precinct, an unnamed detective told her, um... Please note the number of missing person posters hung up outside the building. And he says, quote, ma'am, do you think we can look for everyone? Um, yes. That's that's your your job. job. Yeah. What? (sighs) Yes. Oh, so so they're literally flat out saying, like, this is not important. Yeah. You're not important. Your daughter's (gasps) not important. Why are you calling us? This is just a waste of our time. Wow. Or a waste of your time, rather. So then on April 28th, which now we know is the date after Ramona was killed, Mm -hmm. Ellie uh, pursues the help of public officials uh, who then contact the 67th precinct about Ramona's disappearance. Uh, Ellie testifies that around 2 p.m. that day, someone from the 67th precinct called her asking, quote, why are you calling all of these officials to call this office looking for your daughter? Why are you bothering us? Why are you just reporting us to everybody you feel like reporting us to just so that we can look for your daughter? Why are you bothering us? Why are you bothering us? I'm sorry. Is it your vacation? Yeah. Is this... Am I cutting into your lying around time? Like, what what Why are you bothering us? Yes. So the morning of the 28th, 2003, the day after Ramona was murdered, the NYPD still did not consider Ramona to be a Category G missing person, which means absent under circumstances indicating unaccountable or involuntary disappearance, which is exactly what Ramona... Yes. Like, that's... And everything that describes her case. Yeah, everything Ellie said is that. Yes. So I I don't get it. Um, So... It was only after yet another call from Ugh. public officials uh, who called the precinct uh, on the 28th that Detective Wayne Carey was assigned to the case. So that evening, he visits um, or he visits Ellie, interviews her. He asks her to see Ramona's room. He um, he asks for her social security card, her bank card information. Um, he he never asks her if she wants to. Um, basically publicize Ramona's absence. Although that's actually protocol. They, that's when, not a it, thing they automatically do. It is. So if she was labeled a category G, that would yeah. have been the first thing that they would have done. It was like flyers and all that stuff. So I'm going to kind of outline here okay. what they, what the NYPD in New York city is saying. This is what their so this investigation is what they're saying that yes. they did. Okay, this is saying, this is what they're saying that okay. they're in to support that they actually did an investigation. Uh-huh. Which we know is bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, um, so he never asks her if she wants to publicize Ramona's absence, um, but she, Ellie does give him the phone number and address of Mr. Williams, who Ramona visited him before going to Burger King. So he leaves. Um, Detective Carey visits Mr. Williams' home shortly after interviewing Ellie. Um, he states that uh, Mrs. Mr. Williams states that uh, Ramona dropped off a CD. And was in his home for approximately 10 to 15 minutes, which contradicts, like I said earlier, what he said that 
he told Ellie that she left around nine. Yeah. So at this point, he tells him, uh, I think, a little bit more accurate Mm -hmm. timeline of when Ramona left his house. Mm -hmm. Um, So she and again, he says that she told him that he she was going to Burger King and she would uh, call him when she got home. Mm-hmm. And then he says, she never called me. Uh, when Detective Carey visits the Burger King, a cashier who also knew and was friends with Ramona told her that she didn't come in on the 24th. So that's how they know that she never made and it from Yeah, this is all within too. a four block radius. Yes. This is all done, like, four, literally four blocks because he lived two blocks from her and the Burger King was on the corner of Ramona's street mm-hmm. and that main street in Remsen. Yeah, so. and then Snyder, the Snyder apartment where she was kept was like between Williams and, and the Burger, Burger King. King. Yeah, oh. so... Um, over the next several days, Detective uh, Carey also calls uh, a lot of Ramona's friends. He searches her bedroom, uh, conducts searches uh, using the NYPD database, canvassed hospitals and morgues, uh, put out a description over the NYPD central radio, mm-hmm. um, and is reporting her a missing person. What, um, what date was this? This was on the 28th. Okay, so she's dead already. She's already so, dead, yes. Good job. Yeah. Um, so he canvasses the neighborhood, he requests a bloodhound search, he subpoenas her bank records, arranges for a search of Mr. Williams' house, and conducts various interviews of people in the neighborhood. So the NYPD is canvassing the neighborhood, um, and over the next several days, so now this is April 30th, 2003, um, this search includes the house on Snyder Avenue. So they they went... They the went house. to the house on Snyder Avenue because at this point, the victim number two has I, already yes, given yes, them that yes, information. Yes. So that's why they searched this house on the, on the 30th. But there's no way to tell whether this was a search because of the victim number two or if it was because just general general canvassing because of Ramona. So it's like very Ugh. kind of muddy. Yeah. Um, so the search includes the Snyder house. Um, so they determined that that's later on. They determined that's where Ramona was held. Um, the person who answers the door tells them that she doesn't know who Ramona is. So I'm assuming is that that's the grandmother? the grandmother. It has to be like, she doesn't yeah. know who this person is because, or she's lying. Or she does. There's a lot of people that like had the opportunity to point somebody in the right way and just did didn't not. do it. Yeah. So this is all on April 30th. Um, Officer Jonathan Figueroa of the NYPD and NYPD canine unit uh, uses his bloodhound Kojak to run three trails using Ramona's shirt as a, a scent article. The bloodhound um, assisted search was unsuccessful. So, so maybe flooding the basement did work. Maybe. So this is, so like I said before, so the, the search that happened on Snyder Avenue was on the 30th and on the 29th is when detective Carrie interviews victim number two. So the 15 year old Mm -hmm. girl. So she explains everything and that's why they end up going to the Snyder house, uh, which was located approximately one block away from Mr. Williams house. Um, and three blocks away from Ellie's house. So Ellie Carmichael's house. So on May 11th, the police find Ramona's body lying um, on across King's Highway. Uh, it's located one block from both Snyder Avenue houses. So the two. Um, only a block away. Wow. On uh, May 21st, Detective Carey interviews Kaysen Pearson in connection with the investigation of the kidnapping of the rape victim number two. 
Again, we don't know her name because she was underage at the time. Uh, Pearson admits to everything. He tells him they kidnapped, raped, tortured, and ultimately murdered uh, Ramona at the Snyder house where uh, she was held. Both defendants were uh, subsequently convicted uh, and given life sentences in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what's being outlined in the the bias case. Mm-hmm. So this is just to set up what, you know, yeah. so where, is- where they went wrong and yeah. what Ellie is... Um, alleging the NYPD right. or the lack of in- investigation that the NYPD so, did. So in this version of the case, mm-hmm. they did it all and they did it all right. Yeah. Yes. And there was nothing else but they could have done. Not. But let's hear the real side. Yeah. So um, the so after what they end up realizing is that Ramona's death occurred at 2 a.m. on the 27th. So if... So basically, they're doing all of this investigation work after she's dead. But if they would have done... Because all of this took a matter of three days. Mm. And she went missing on the 24th. So if this three-day investigation would have started on the 24th when she went missing, Mm -hmm. they would have found her on the 27th. So... But, like, that's all, like, well, if we would have, if we could have, like, that's what they're saying is just, like, either way, she would have died. But it's just, like, no, if you would have put this energy into finding her when you first found out she was missing, it's more likely that you would have found her before they even even more disrespected her body even more by dumping her. Like there's so many things that you could have learned and you might have been able to find them before this 15 year old was abducted. Cause it's not like this was happening 20 miles away. It was all happening within like a five mile radius. So, um, so I just want to outline a little bit of why um, Ellie Carmichael is saying that, you know, her daughter's case wasn't taken as seriously as other missing person cases mm-hmm. because there was a missing person case um, around the same time. Her name was Svetlana Arnov. I hope that's how you say her name. Mm-hmm. Apologize if I'm ruining that. Um, so she... Ellie's lawyers are comparing the disappearance of Ramona to the response in the disappearance of Svetlana Arnov. Um, so on March 3rd, 2003, Svetlana, a 44-year-old white woman who lived on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, 44 years old, mm. she's an adult, mm-hmm. um, she is reported to have left home to walk her dog and then never came back. Mm. She left behind her wallet, money, ID, and then her husband later that night reports her missing around 11.20 p.m. on March 3rd. Um, the NYPD opened an investigation into Svetlana's case that same night. And by 1 a.m. on March 4th, Svetlana's disappearance was designated a Category G case. Missing oh, person. Category yes. G. We've heard mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, around two and a half hours later after, uh, or two and a half hours later, um, an officer conducted a preliminary search for her. Within approximately four and a half hours Svetlana's, uh, of Svetlana's husband reporting her missing, the, the NYPD conducted an unsuccessful search with a bloodhound. And within 24 hours, the NYPD had conducted an area, an area hospital and morgue search and conducted a shoreline and rooftop search by aviation. Wow. Additionally, the... NYPD reviewed security tapes from Svetlana's building and 
surrounding buildings. Um, they held a press conference. They held, uh, they handed out um, flyers. <laughs> they assigned not one, but two detectives to mm. her case full time. And these detectives um, did various uh, interviews with potential leads and people who saw her last, um, including her husband. Um, Svetlana's body was found a few months later in the East River. According Mm -hmm. to the New York Post, Svetlana did enter the water alive. So it's unclear whether she committed suicide or jumped in after the dog because the dog's headless body was also (gasps) found in the river. Oh my God. So, I mean, we're not trying to say that Svetlana's case shouldn't have been investigated this way because it absolutely should have been. We're just saying that Ramona's case should have been met with that same amount of energy. And it proves that they do have the resources. Exactly. To do that because there are different precincts, different people involved. Um, so this is a little, like, I, I might need your help figuring this part out okay. because the, like, I read the whole court document and just like some of the court, like lingo and the, the way that they say things, I'm like, I don't get what you're trying yeah. to say here. So I just like copy to paste. It. I want to read it to you. Um, so Ellie's lawyers did state that, um, that no state shall deny any person with its juris- within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. So um, the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment is essentially a direction that all persons similarly situated should be treated alike. Mm-hmm. So that's their stance of like, we un- we understand that yeah. everybody's missing person case should be taken seriously yeah. and Ramona's wasn't and Svetlana's mm-hmm. was. So and here's kind a of, federal law to back that. Yes. Yeah. So um, this is the part of the, the, the documents that I'm like, mm, what? So according to the documents on legal.com, the city argues that, so this is the city's kind of rebuttal to that. Mm. So they say uh, a denial of police services usually refers to police protection nor plaintiffs claim automatically precluded because the NYPD ultimately opened an investigation into Mrs. Moore's case. The claim is that she should have received more immediate services and have been found in time to prevent her murder had she not been African-American. Quote, diminished police services like the seat at the back of the bus don't satisfy the government's obligation to provide services on a non-discriminatory basis. Um, that's the city says that. Yeah. That sounds like they're saying that what she is like, that her standards are too high and that, (laughs) and that like, it doesn't like they, that they ultimately did everything that they did for Svetlana in this case, mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter. Like even if they started it a little bit later, and the the argument and the evidence that they put forth uh, in terms of like outlining their investigation, yeah, like backs that up, saying that like we did it all because according to these things that they did, they did do it all, except that they didn't, and they didn't in a timely manner. Yeah, and that's I think I think it's. To me, it's like the equivalent of like an all lives matter argument where it's oh. like um, saying like, 
you're just like getting your hackles up and you're just trying to defend yourself and so you make it about like being called racist which is worse than being actually racist like yeah you know that that feeling okay. that's absolutely flat out wrong but yeah, i think that's why they're saying police services like the I don't that seat of the bus. That's so like, I think that they're saying like, I think that they are trying to sound progressive. Like we know what you're talking about. We know about Rosa Parks. Like we're not putting you in the backseat of the bus. We didn't put you in the backseat of the bus. When it's like, what kind of, like what kind of argument is that? Because like, but they, I mean, you didn't do it. You, you didn't, you, you treated her case as not, important yeah. until you were pressured yeah you were pressured by people pressured by people and then you found a body yeah like it, it yeah. yeah and it's it's just like a lot of this these court documents are just painful to read because it's you're talking about human life here mm-hmm. and it's not like i understand being defensive and being called something that you might not necessarily view yourself as but it's just flippant yeah yeah it's just flippant and it's just yeah but it's it that reaction and that defense is still very like individual knee-jerk like Mm -hmm. well i don't want to be seen as a bad person yeah versus the fact that they let somebody die yeah and like, for their for their lack of urgency. Yeah. And if they would have. So many individuals on every level mm-hmm. responded that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that then leads to, you know, August. Ugh. I'll start that over. And that leads to August 2014 when federal district judge Nita. Nita ugh. Okay, that leads us to August 2014 uh, when federal district judge Nina Gershon dismissed the Carmichael bias case that the plaintiffs did not produce sufficient evidence to show that the NYPD had a widespread unspoken practice of failing to conduct immediate searches for African-Americans reported missing. The the baseline for this case is that they had to pr- prove it was a widespread. Yeah. That just because what these the specific hell? individuals might not have treated the case as as urgent, oh. that they didn't have sufficient sufficient evidence to prove that it was the NYPD and the city of New York. Oh my god! So, so they're saying that. Up- Let's look up Nina Gershon and see if she ever ran for office and if the police department <laughs> backed her. Because, wow. Yeah. Which is, I, they're, so they're basically saying that it was Ellie Carmichael's lawyers that went too big with it, pretty much. That mm-hmm. if, they were, if they were bringing charges against these specific officers that were involved, it might have worked out better. But because they were, it was like a a blanket on the entire NYPD and the city of New York that there wasn't sufficient evidence enough that, to prove that. I mean, that just seems like splitting hairs to me. It, it that is. That just is, yeah. is um, In its ridiculous. contrast uh, to its treatment. So basically they're saying like they're, they didn't prove that in the contrast of white people going missing that they weren't able to prove that oh, that's something please. that everybody... Look around you. Yeah. Look open, at all these open your eyes. Is missing pretty much. indigenous girls that yeah. nobody gives a shit about. It's ridiculous. and they should. 
she did acknowledge there could be differences among specific cases, but she said systemic bias was not shown. That she didn't, she wasn't able to prove. I don't like her. Me either. Hmm. Hmm. I like Ellie. Yeah. Ellie. She's a gem. Just, her. I wish she never had to go through anything that she went through, but wow, she. Yeah, in a way, is, I wish we weren't talking about her. Yeah. I wish she, she was Absolutely. just, you know, but. But what, what a powerhouse. Yeah. I want to just end with a quote from um, Ellie's uncle, Clifford Mann. He said that he remembers that Ramona was a hardworking student who had once boasted of a report card full of A's. Mm. Uh, he said, I said to her, that's nothing. Anybody can get an A. All I want you to do is maintain that. That's the difficult part. Mm. And he said, that's what she did. That was her standard, excellence. Which is just just such a heartbreaking thing. And it's just like to, to be met with all of this other stuff that... Sub- you know, diminished so her heart, just like yeah. who she really was and yeah. who she could have become. Wow. So, you know, we want to dedicate this uh, episode to Ramona Moore and her mom, um, Ellie Carmichael. We see you, even when nobody else did. This episode was written by me, Asia Hamilton, and Devin Balsamo Gillis. Edited by Devin Balsamo-Gillis. And music by Holly Amber Church. We would really appreciate if you could rate, review, subscribe, download, share, all the things this podcast. It means so much to us that you listen and we want to share that with other people. Special thanks to Willie Galt for letting us use his space to record. Gabe Galt for creating our logo. And Jessica Bale of the Twisted Sisters podcast for all of your great advice. If you want to see photos from today's case and check out our sources, follow us on Instagram at DNA underscore podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, download, send to all your friends, everybody that loves true crime. Let's get the word out. Let's try to get to 100 subscribers by our next episode. Tune in next time as Devin takes a lead with a new case. See you next time. I sound like a toddler. (laughs) Please keep that in. I will. I will. <laughs>